The title of the message on this Easter morning is A Living Hope. And we'll be reading from the epistle of 1 Peter, chapter 1, looking at verses 3 through 7. Holy Week is meant to be a time, a week that is set apart, that's different from our normal rhythms and routines. But this has been an exceptionally unusual or set-apart or different kind of Holy Week. We often depend on one another, depend on that sense of community to carry us through this week, through Palm Sunday. We gather on early morning prayer breakfast throughout the Holy Week here in Jericho. We have special time set aside on Maundy Thursday and Good Friday to worship with one another. But this week has been different. On Thursday evening, uh, my family, the kids and I, came to ring the bell here in the sanctuary as the sun was setting. And it was, it was strange to do that to an empty church, an empty sanctuary. Though it was comforting to see that some of you had gathered in your cars on the green to take in that moment together with us. But this, again, has not been a month or a week that we have anticipated. But if there were a a week in the life of the church, a week in the life of God's people that can hold together that sense of disruption, that sense of, of loneliness or unmet expectations in our lives, this is it. Because if we've really been following Jesus through this past week, and and his entry into Jerusalem and toward the cross. It means entering a story that didn't go as expected. When Jesus rode into the city, his great moment of glory and triumph wasn't supposed to begin with a farewell meal in the upper room. It wasn't supposed to to go on to a betrayal later that same evening, and then an arrest, and then the desertion of Jesus' closest friends. It wasn't supposed to go through a crucifixion. No one that week was prepared for a hurried burial late, just before sundown on Sabbath. Holy Week, as it turns out, was from the beginning an unusual, a confusing, and an isolating experience. But today, on this morning, there is something unusual and unexpected too. Today is a day, as Walter Brueggemann has suggested, where we should be expecting interruption. As Simon Peter awoke on the first day of a new week, having that first holy week behind him. As he awoke before dawn, I'm sure that the grim realities were there to greet him. That the sense of despair and rejection and failure clouded his view of the reality that lay before him. But that morning, Peter chose to return to the sight of that despair and grief. He goes to the tomb of Jesus. Peter even crawls inside of that tomb. 
And it's then that his reality is upended and interrupted one more time. In the most troubling, the most terrifying, but the most glorious way possible. At the end of a week of extraordinary heaviness, there is a tomb that is gloriously empty. I want to invite us to allow Peter's discovery and Mary's discovery and, and the disciples' discovery on that first Easter morning to interrupt us one more time this week. And as it does so, may it draw us into a new and living sense of hope. We pray for us. Lord, as we look into your word and the truth and the reality of the gospel in all that it holds together, Lord, I pray that we could enter into, crawl into that empty tomb as Peter did, and that we might emerge from it different, into a world that is different and charged with your resurrection hope. Lord, I pray that as I preach this morning, as we hear the word of God, may my words, may the meditations of all our hearts be pleasing to you. In Jesus' name. Amen. I want to read to you from 1 Peter. I want us to keep in mind that Peter's journey from that first Easter morning and from the empty tomb forward was not always an easy one. Peter, of course, became one of the leaders of the early church. He led it in its mission, but also through its persecution. Eventually, Peter was to give his life away as a martyr in Rome. Today, I want to hear the gospel as it comes to us through one of Peter's letters that came later in his life. A letter he addressed to the chosen exiles, the the small New Testament communities spread out and isolated in a way throughout the Roman Empire. And he writes to them at a time where they were facing an increasingly difficult and hostile future. Sense of of resistance and persecution was beginning to heat up for these first Christians. But Peter chooses to begin his letter to them with this incredible offering of praise. Here, the letter of 1 Peter, chapter 1, verses 3 through 9. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who in his great mercy has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this, you greatly rejoice. Though now, 
for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, that it may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Amen. Every day we are constantly making choices about how we evaluate our sense of reality. Some things get lots of our attention, some things we minimize somewhat, other things we completely ignore. One of the, the ways that I notice this is as I step into different rooms in my house or in my daily routine. Right? I, I could step into my kid's room today or walk through the kitchen and I will immediately see a mess, something that will, will stress me out. But I can walk into the door of my office at the church where there are books all over the, the desk and papers piled everywhere and I will immediately feel at home. Right? It's, it's all about what I allow myself to see. And what I choose to notice then kind of becomes my reality that I operate out of. This morning we are in the midst of a tragic week of suffering. And we are also confronted with, with what to notice, what to see, what to allow ourselves to dwell on, and, and how we make sense of that. But we are also confronted with the reality of an empty tomb. And I think Peter is is faced with a similar challenge here in this letter. He is writing to a group of friends, a group of these New Testament communities who are in the midst of very difficult circumstances. And circumstances that that are getting more difficult as he writes. But he also wants to present to them the reality Of the resurrection. If I were in Peter's shoes trying to speak into these difficult circumstances, I would probably begin by by trying to to notice the problem or to fix the problem or or maybe just enter into that letter with some gentle words of concern. But Peter knows from his experience in Rome that their future is likely to get harder before it gets better. And so, in the first verses of this letter, he makes the the bold move to to sort of forego those pleasantries, forego the small talk, and instead he chooses to recall his own past, right? A morning when his sense of despair was interrupted with the reality of hope. In verse 3 he says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who in his great mercy has given us a new birth into a living hope. Today I want to let that reality wash over us. I want to consider how that reality defines and redefines us in this moment. 
One of the things you'll notice if you spend a little time studying these verses is that it is a long string of of prepositions and prepositional phrases that that Peter connects together. There's a sense that, that through those prepositions we're being connected into and through and toward this living hope that he identifies in verse 3. Peter's showing us the twists and the turns and the way that hope moves and and what it moves us toward. And so on Easter morning, I want to highlight three of the dimensions that Peter says characterize those who have living hope in Jesus. First, he says that those who have a living hope have that hope because they have been reborn. Verse 3, in Jesus Christ, we've been given a new birth into a living hope. And Peter, of course, gets this idea, this language, straight from Jesus himself. Jesus, who who says in John's gospel that, that to be his follower is to be born again, is to be born of spirit, to be born from above. The Apostle Paul uses a similar metaphor when he says that that anyone who is in Christ has become part of this new creation reality. That is the most basic reason we live with hope. Because today the, the life of God is born in us. It's growing in us. It is alive. The verb Peter uses for this new birth in Greek, is anagenesis. It means to be conceived or or created a second time. But Peter goes on to say in that same verse that our anagenesis comes through the anastaesos of Jesus, from his resurrection from death. In other words, there is no new birth or new life unless Jesus first went into the tomb, but then emptied the tomb. Peter's conviction is that our rebirth comes through his resurrection, the resurrection of Jesus. And what better witness could we find to that reality than Peter himself? Right? Who who in the span of just three days witnessed the crucified body of Jesus placed in the tomb and then witnessed the resurrection body of Jesus before him. Peter, who woke on Easter morning under the heaviness of death and despair, but who soon found himself racing toward the tomb and being reborn himself into this living hope. This morning, if you are, are struggling to locate that sense of hope, if, you're, if your sense of hope is waning, and I want to invite you to come to the empty tomb and to meet there and, and to follow a Jesus who alone knows the way from death into life. Right? Our hope has to begin with him, with that reality. But that doesn't mean we ignore what is happening around us. Those who are born into a living hope, Peter says, those who have the risen, reborn life of Jesus growing in them can also expect refining. That's the second dimension I want us to consider this morning. Living hope leads us 
through trials, through difficulties, toward this work of refining. In verse 6, Peter mentions the many trials his friends are currently up against. He doesn't say that our living hope spares us from the grief of this world. Jesus suffered. Peter suffered. We can expect to suffer all kinds of trials. The cross of Jesus remains a central part of following him, even a central part of our hope. But Peter says, even in these things, we may greatly rejoice. Not not in the suffering itself, but because when we suffer, the life of Jesus is working in us. We are identifying, we are participating with the suffering he has entered first. And there's a way in which Jesus can purify and refine our faith through it. Trials can make clearer than ever where true hope resides. Every week for this past month or so, our deacon board has met over Zoom. And we've, we've taken time in those calls to consider how to, to love and to lead our church through this trial that no one anticipated. But during this, this past week's call, we, we set aside time not to necessarily think about the church itself, but to share from our own heart where we ourselves were in need of encouragement and help, where we were weary. And it was, it was a humbling time. It was an honest time. It was a heavy time. But as we prayed for and with one another, there was also an incredible sense of, of being moved toward hope, lifted up into the life of Jesus in a, in a way that I couldn't fully give words to or describe. When we have nowhere else to turn, nowhere else to go, we can also then discover how authentic, how dependable our faith in Jesus Christ truly is. That the heat of these difficulties can, can be clarifying when it helps us lay hold of what Peter says is a hope that doesn't disappoint, but is of greater worth than gold. Peter says back up in, in verse 4 that Jesus, as he takes us into this hope, he's also leading us into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. I wonder how the, the challenges of these past weeks might be intensifying and refining your longing for, for the things of Jesus and his kingdom, for, for things that, that are unshakable, that are imperishable. My prayer is that, that the living resurrection hope we have in Jesus could be deepened and purified and refined in us right now. So Peter says to have a living hope is to be reborn in Jesus. He says that 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 hope is being refined in us even as we face grief and times of great difficulty. Lastly, though, I think Peter says that the living hope we have on Easter morning is, is to have the saving power of Jesus revealed in and through us. The idea of revelation comes up few times in this passage. 
And wherever the, the New Testament uses that word, the, the word or the term apocalypsis, it's the idea of, of unveiling, of, of seeing what was once hidden, of pulling the curtain away and, and seeing in a new way. The first revealing that Peter mentions comes at the end of verse 5. And it says we're awaiting the incredible power of God's salvation in Jesus to be revealed in the last time. Part of having a living hope is, is knowing the future, knowing that there is a future day to come when the full measure of God's power and his healing and, and his making all things whole will be poured out over creation in a new way. That, that that's going to be unveiled. Knowing what comes at the end of our story gives us the power to live in this present moment differently. Not with despair, but with hope. But the saving power of God that's going to be revealed is not only reserved for the future. Peter says it's, it's also working behind the scenes, so to speak. In unseen places, Jesus is now, even now, getting us ready for that great unveiling. Look at verses 7, 8, and 9. Verse 7 says, when Jesus Christ is revealed, he also wants to reveal, to demonstrate something in us too. He is working to redirect these trials and and these refining moments to forge a people of the resurrection, a people whose lives will one day Reveal the praise, glory, and honor of Jesus to the rest of creation at that time. Verses 8 and 9 go on to say that even though we can't see the resurrected Jesus right now with our eyes, even though it's, it's hidden in a sense, its reality is still tangible. He says the the resurrection, living hope of Jesus fills us with an inexpressible and glorious joy in the present moment. Because the, the healing and saving power of Jesus is being turned loose on our souls. We can have a living hope because Jesus is revealing himself in us and through us. This has been an unusual Lenten season. It's been an unusual Holy Week. Things have not gone as we would expect them to. But praise be to God that there remains this morning one more unexpected encounter at the empty tomb. Praise be to God that from the foot of the cross grows a new and living hope today. Last week, we invited you to bring the things that that have been heavy, the burdens that you carry, and to lay them at the foot of the cross. This morning, if you can come by the church, you will see that there over the front steps are, are signs of this living hope we have spilling out. There are dozens of Easter flowers placed there. And we would ask that, that you might come and take one of those home as a gift But more importantly, as a tangible reminder of the living hope that Peter identifies here. We've drawn into, being drawn into that reality this morning. Points to 
the God in Father who loves us and who has given us his Son, Jesus, to be for us that living hope in which we are being reborn, in which we will be refined, and in whom we are being revealed. He is risen today. Hallelujah.